title of my message is after God's own heart. You know, there's verses in the Bible when they describe David that he was a man after God's own heart. You are now to be people after God's own heart. That is the way the Father is supposed to see you. And so that is, that is the title of my message. And I, I want to start with Psalm 16, starting at verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. And him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor let your faithful one decay. To make known to me the paths of life, you will fill me with your joy and your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Thank you, Lord. That's David saying that. One of the questions that came up into my, into my mind was David had this attitude of rejoicing and praising the Lord all the time and, and he was a man after God's own heart. But David was an adulterer, a murderer, had family problems, problems with his kids, problems with his wives, had numerous wives but that was the culture of the time. And so all week I've been, the last 10 days I've been asking the Lord, tell me, what makes David a man after your own heart? Why, why was he chosen? Why was he picked out? What made him special? Nobody around him saw him as special. Even Samuel who anointed him didn't seem then as special. The only one that saw him special was the Father. Let's go to 1 Samuel 13. This is Samuel talking to Saul. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure, and the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of the people because you have not kept the Lord's command. That's where that comes from. God saw David as a man after his own heart. Spoke through Samuel to Saul. But you know, David wasn't even anointed then. Samuel didn't even know who David was. And what he did, he, he set Samuel off to anoint David. Now Samuel's talking to the father. He's getting instructions. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord says, take a heifer, you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. Jesse was David's father. 
and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. At this process, Samuel just knows it's one of Jesse's sons. Jesse had eight sons. He started off with asking the Lord, is this the one? No. Is this the one? No. And he brought all seven of them towards him. And they were all no. Well, Samuel knew that one of his sons had to be anointed. But they had all been presented to me. So he asked Jesse, he said, do you have another son? He says, yes, I have one out in the field. And Samuel said, go get him. We will stand and we will wait for him. And he came in and God said, this is the one. So in front of Jesse, who didn't probably think a whole lot of the son, because he was eighth in line, and his brothers, Samuel took the horn of oil and poured it over David and anointed him king of Israel. I'm sure that caused a lot of problems within the family with the brothers looking at him. One thing I found really interesting, I, I really encourage you to read, and little things mean a lot in Scripture. See, this was the eighth son. So this morning I say, okay, Father, why the eighth son? What does eight mean? So I looked it up. The number eight, him being the eighth son, means resurrection and regeneration. The nation of Israel was going to be resurrected and regenerated through him because that, through David, comes Jesus and the birth line. It's not coincidence he was the eighth son. God does not stumble into circumstances and details. Okay, with all that said, that's the man after God's own heart. That's fine and good. What do you do with it? How do you get after God's own heart? I never really got an answer from the Father on this. But I'll tell you what I did get. And I'm probably trying to make it too complicated. So let's go to John 1. Terry talked about this the other day. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We're talking about Jesus. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. But I believe as, as we go down, we'll go down a little bit further. He said, uh, his name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. 
He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and through him, the world did not recognize him. So even though the light was on, people didn't see it. God had turned the light on for the creation of the world, and the world didn't see it. They lived in shadows. I think that's part of what goes on today. The light is there, the light's on, but you only see shadows. And you've become comfortable with sitting in semi-darkness. Your eyes veiled, not seeing everything as you're supposed to see it. The church has become so politically correct that we dare not say anything that may offend some people or we take on doctrines that are totally unscriptural. Because we're more concerned, as Saul was, about the thoughts of men or the fear of man than God. So God has turned on the light. Obviously, David saw the light. But David, you've got, you've got to see the grace in this. David saw the light and was a man after God's own heart, but God did not judge him by what he did. Well, that's not right. God has to judge. God has grace. See, God doesn't look at what you've done 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 10 minutes ago, a thought that went through your head. He doesn't judge you for that. He looks inside you and he sees the light that's in you, that Christ lives within you, and, and that, is, that is what you need to cultivate. But again, how do, we, how do we get the light of God to shine in us all the time? We all go through periods where we're wondering, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why, is this worthwhile? Why does this happen to me? And we struggle with that. And as I started off talking about in the book of Revelation. Let's go there, Terry. Revelation 3, 14. This is a place that, if I was a fire and brimstone preacher, I would hit you all with this one real hard. And it's been overused. And you'll know it when I get to it. The church of Laodicea. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that they are neither hot or neither cold nor hot. I wish they were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of the mouth, out of my mouth. And I say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on the eyes so you can see. Well, you know, I wonder how many 
pastors has taken that and beaten people over the head with it to make you feel guilty and condemned. That is not the purpose of those verses. I went there right away when I started thinking about this message. But that is not the purpose. The purpose, if you look at all these churches, it's amazing because we all struggle with things. We all go through, we all go through times where things just don't seem right. And the Lord had me this morning, he said, don't read just that one, read every one of the churches. And as you read through every one of the seven churches with the seven lampstands and the seven stars, completion, everything is complete. I found something real interesting. And I'm, I'm just gonna go over each one of the churches just real briefly. It starts in Revelation 3, if you want to read it sometime. To the church in Ephesus, he listed things that he had against them. But he says, to those who have overcome. Put your name in there. I, I didn't pay attention to what their problem was. Because we are overcomers. We have overcome. We are not judged by what is before. We are judged by what goes on before the Father. And that's the same for every one of these churches. Some people think that these are the churches through the church age and we're in the very last one and we're all very rich and we're more concerned about our money and our, our standing than anything else. But no, that, that's always been there. That hasn't changed. We've all gone through all the things that these churches list. But the thing is, each one of the churches, Jesus, who's speaking here in the book of Revelation, says, to you who have overcome, to you who have overcome, to you who have overcome. He's speaking to you who have overcome. This is what he's going to do for you. The first church, he gives you to write the right to eat from the tree of life. I thought that was pretty cool, considering what we've been talking about over the last few months. You have the right to eat from the tree of life. To the second church, Smyrna, you will not be hurt by the second death if you have overcome. Pergram. He will give you hidden manna and a new name. He changes who you are and he takes care of your daily needs. Thyatira, he gives you authority over nations. You have authority over nations because you have overcome. Sardis, he dresses you in white. He will never blot, blot your name out from the book of life. And he acknowledges your name before the Father and the angels. Jesus is going to take you before the fathers and before the Father and the angels, and he is going to say, Look at him. Look at him. He is my son, and I am pleased. Philadelphia, he says, I will make his a pillar in the temple of God and write on him a new name. You're changed because you've overcome. You're a pillar. 
You're one that stands strong and supports the foundation. And then the last one, the one where we are neither hot nor cold and he's going to spit us out. He says he gives us the right to sit on the throne with Christ before the Father. That's what those seven churches are. They're telling you what your gifts are that you receive through grace because that's nothing you've done. But you were put there because you have overcome by being in Christ. Now, that's all exciting. and But we'll walk out of here and we'll go, my battery's dead in my car. Oh, man, I forgot. I didn't pay that bill this month. I'm going to get kind of get a fee on that. Why, honey, did you buy that? You didn't need to do this. Why did you say that to that friend at work? Why didn't you complete your job at work? Why didn't you do that? We go back into the, in, into the flow of the nature of things, and we forget we are overcomers. So how do we overcome? Let's go to the 84 song. This is going to be real different tonight because I have uh, two songs for you to listen to, to think about after I, a few more minutes. But how do we overcome? Let's look at the 84 song from the director of music according to Get It and the sons of Korah, a psalm. Now, the sons of Korah were priests. They were priests unto God. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. His heart and his flesh, his physical being, ache to be in the presence of God. That is overcoming. But again, how do we get there? How do we get there? He gives some, this next line, he gives something very simple. He says, even the sparrows found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. We ask God, do you know what's going on in my life? Do you really care? He even cares about the swallow and makes a place for it to have a nest right in his throne. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. A couple points. These are the ones that are always praising. Always Praising the Father. Always praising the Father. Third time. Always praising the Father. We are to praise Him every day as we walk through this life. Because the next, the next verse says, you are on a pilgrimage. You are on a pilgrimage. 
See, a pilgrimage is like what Abraham went on. God sent him somewhere. And the pilgrimage is not the end result. The pilgrimage is, is the transition to where God is taking you. The trouble is, as we go through our pilgrimage, we like to sit down and whine. We really do. All of us do. We like to go find a place with no provision and just sit there. But God has better plans for us. See, he supplies everything for us. Even on our pilgrimage. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. That means you're going to continue walking. I am not going to stop. I'm going to finish my pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, it makes a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. The Valley of Baca, in some translations, is called the Valley of Weeping. On your pilgrimage, you're going to go through valleys of weeping, of brokenness. But that does not mean the Father has left you. He does not mean he is not going to get you to your final destination. I've looked at the, some explanations of what this verse means. And one said, the pilgrim to, is to come to heavenly cities may have to pass through many a valley of weeping and many a thirsty desert but wells of salvation shall be opened for them. You may go through that, but there is a well of salvation in the desert for you on your pilgrimage. Do not sit down. Abraham was called to go to the place that the Father would show him. He was not called to sit down and stay in one place. He was called to go. You see, the problem is, we go through life and, and things just just came to me that our lives are, are like those antacid stomach commercials where you eat something and it starts slapping you in the face. You know, you know, a piece of bacon or a burrito or something. Well say we do come to those. In our daily walk we have we face many things. But as in Revelation 3, we have overcome all those things. And all the promises that I read to you out of Revelation are yours because you are an overcomer. So how do we get a heart that's after God? First, we have to realize we're on a pilgrimage. We have to realize that things are going to come against us. I'm going to play a song for you. Listen to it. Don't know if any of you have ever heard these songs before. Last week, God said, download the song onto your phone. So I've downloaded the songs. i got two songs to play for you, one a little bit later on. But I want you to listen to the words. God bless Lois Pete. None of you know Lois Pete. She was a tiny little lady like this, a little old farm lady. Lived on a farm out in Layton. She gave me this album.
about 1984, wore out a couple cassettes. It's not in publication anymore, but I can find it. I found it on iTunes. Downloaded to my my phone. I want you to listen to the words. The style of the music. It is a Christian musical. I don't know if any of you heard it, but listen to the words because it speaks to where you are and how you're traveling. Dear Lord, you know that I love you more than anything else in all the world, and how often I want to lift my voice to sing praise to you, but so many times the busyness of my life makes you seem so far away. But deep within me, I can feel the gentle nudge of your love, and that is when I know that all that really matters is knowing you. Just the time I feel that I've been caught in the mild of sound. Just the time I feel my mind's been bought by worldly wealth. That's when the breeze begins to blow. The Spirit's call And all my worldly wanderings Just melt into His love
It's an old song. Don't know if any of you have ever heard it before. But it speaks to you. When your daily deeds get in and mess up your relationship with him. He loves you so much. Don't let your daily deeds, as they ordinarily do, make you insensitive to his presence. See, David knew the presence of the Father continually. He had that heart for the Father. He understood what the Father wanted. Even when David was caught in, in the sin, he admitted immediately to Samuel, I have sinned against the Father. That's all he asks of you. Integrity of heart. Now if you're like me, the problem is I'm not a very verbal person. I don't want rote prayers. I don't like reading prayers that other people have written out. I don't like repetition. I don't say om, om in my prayers. So I've got another song for you to listen to. And it talks about how to go before the Father and to lift him up, but I'll tell you, it lifts you up. It, it, it changes you. And the, the big thing is, you're feeding on his glory. You want glory? Feed on his. You are what you eat. Feed on his glory. And don't get caught in formulas. Don't get caught in the own of life. Don't get caught in, I have to take five minutes before I get up and out of bed in the morning or five minutes before I go to bed. Or, you know, don't make it a formula. Make it a constant phrase on your lips. Just a, I love you. You're good. You're always good to me, Father. Not a formula but a pattern. A formula is one and one plus two. A pattern is like weaving a, a tapestry in and out. One and one place plus two is not beautiful. A tapestry is. So I have one more song for you to listen to. And then we're going to go to communion, and if I can get the, the phone to work, we're going to do it differently. I'll tell you how we're going to do it now. After I finish up, we'll, we'll sit down and we can sit at our, our table, but I'm going to put the last two songs of this album on. I'm not going to tell you what they're about, but it's what we celebrate in communion. It's the final act of what we celebrate in communion. So when, you, when you're stumped for something to worship about, when you can't come up with words to, 
bring before the Father. There's just a few words you can speak to him. Now that we've prepared ourselves to worship, the Spirit can begin to lead us in expressing that worship in the way that would please God most. And one of the first things the Holy Spirit desires to lead us into is the very embrace of the Father. For as the Word says, we have been given the spirit of sonship and can cry, Abba, Father. In our day, that would be like saying, Papa God. Now that's not irreverence. That's intimacy with the Father. He desires for us to be as little children, crawl upon his lap and say, Abba, Father. One of the acts of worship that pleases him most is when we call to mind different attributes of his character with praise, like his power, his mercy, his holiness. He has revealed himself as Jehovah Shammah, the God whose presence is with us, as Jehovah Shalom, the God who is our peace, as Jehovah Rophe, the Lord who heals us. And he wants us to acknowledge who he is as we worship.
See, he just wants to have a relationship with you. You're on a pilgrimage and you're going through a place that sometimes seems hard, but he's always there. He wants to have a relationship with you. You are the one. You are the one after God's own heart. That's when he looks at you and that's what he sees. And you get to call him Papa God. That's what's so wonderful about him. It's given to you. At this point, I'd like to just go into communion and just have us go over and sit down. And You can sit at the table or you can go off by yourself somewhere and talk to the Lord. It'll take a couple minutes. The things that we will see in the very near future. So let's move over to the table. I'm going to turn off my mic.